Someone once asked me, have you ever wondered where the white goes when the snow melts? I said, what? Would you say that again? Have you ever wondered where the white goes when the snow melts? Well, why would I wonder that? The whiteness depends on the snow. Whiteness is a property of snow. When the snow melts, you're left with water, and the water isn't white. All right, Father, why are we talking about the whiteness of snow on Corpus Christi? Because today we're going to start by trying to get a grasp on the meaning of two words, accident and substance. All right, but what does that have to do with the whiteness of snow? We'll get to that, but first off, let's start by noticing something that isn't apparent to some of the people with too much so-called education. Whiteness really exists. Snow is really white. The altar's really white. My is really white. This paper's really white. Whiteness, the color white, really exists. And snow really exists, too. Okay, so whiteness and snow exist. So what, Father? Well, let's ask a question about the relationship between whiteness and snow. The question is, does the white color depend on the snow for its existence, or does the snow depend upon the white color for its existence? It's obvious the white color depends on the snow for its existence. Okay, let's stop for a minute and think about what we've just noticed. We've just noticed there's two different ways of existing, at least two right there. We've just seen two different ways of existing. Whiteness really exists. Snow is really white. My alba is really white. The altar is really white. This paper is really white. Whiteness, the color white, really exists. But in every one of those cases, the whiteness exists in another thing. The whiteness of snow exists as a quality of snow. The whiteness of this alb or of this paper exists as a quality of the alb or the paper, okay? Outside of our minds, outside of our minds, there's no such thing as whiteness having a separate existence of its own. Outside of our minds, there is no such thing as just whiteness floating around. There are only white things, like my own. We could say the same thing for blueness, or greenness, or redness, or any old color. Outside of our minds, colors don't have a separate existence of their own. They always exist in some other thing. Colors aren't the only example of beings that don't have a separate existence of their own. They're not the only example of beings who only exist in other things. Here's a few more examples. Outside of our minds, tastes like sour or sweet don't exist. They don't have a separate existence of their own. They always exist in another being, like a lemon or a grape. Outside of our minds, weights like ounces or pounds don't exist on their own. They always exist in another being, like barbells around somebody's waist. Outside of our mind, shapes like round or oval don't have a separate existence of their own. They always exist in another being, like being drawn on a piece of paper or the shape of a racetrack or a tire or the patent, something like that. Now, the technical term for these kinds of appearances or properties or qualities or characteristics, like whiteness, which can exist in another being, the technical term is called accidents. Now, ordinarily, when we hear that word, we might think of a car wreck or something, but an accident is also a technical term, which means a being who has the nature, it's the nature of this being, to exist in another being. An accident has the nature to exist in another being, and that other kind of being it exists in is called a substance. So, what's a substance? Well, this is another technical term. 
A substance is a particular kind of being. Unlike an accident, unlike an accident, a substance is a being which has an independent existence. Now, we're not talking about independent like independent of God. Like we're trying to do some kind of devil thing here, okay? No. Unlike an accident, a substance is a being which has an independent existence. Remember, we saw that accidents depended on something else. Whiteness depends on something else to exist. A substance has an independent existence. Substances exist in themselves. Accidents exist in substances. Substances exist in themselves. A substance is something whose nature is to exist in itself. Accidents exist in substances. Substances exist in themselves. For example, snow. Snow is a substance. The color white in the snow is an accident. The freezing temperature of snow is an accident. The, the little crystalline form of snowflakes, these are all accidents, okay? So snow exists in itself, it's a substance. And the whiteness and the freezing temperature and the crystalline shapes of snowflakes, they all exist in snow. They're all accidents, all right? But I'm a substance. I exist in myself, the color of my eyes, or my skin or my hair, or, or the lack of it. They're all accidents. They're all, they all exist in me. My bald spot doesn't have an independent existence. It's part of me. It isn't floating off in space somewhere, okay? Okay? My weight, my height, my accent, my knowledge, all these things exist in me. They're a part of me. They make me different than what I would be without them, but they're all accidents. So substance and an accident are two different kinds of beings. They have two different modes of existence. Basically, a substance is an independent being, and an accident is a dependent being. A substance, like snow, or a bar of gold, or an ultra boy, is a being whose nature is to exist in itself. An accident, like the whiteness of snow, or the shiny golden color of the gold bar, or the weight of it, or the color of an ultra boy's hair, those are all beings whose nature it is to exist in a substance. Those are all accidents. All right. So hopefully we hammered that down enough. So now we have the basic idea of substance and accidents down. Let's make note of another key point. Take snow, for example. How do we know snow is white? We look at it. How do we know snow is cold? We touch it. We feel it. So what's your point, Father? The point is the whiteness and coldness of snow are accidents, and our senses make it possible for us to know about whiteness or coldness of snow. We know accidents through our senses. This is what we sense is accidents. We look at snow, we see it's white. We look at the crystalline structure. We look at the priest, we see he has a bald spot or, or he has a funny accent or whatever. Okay? When we're looking at these things, we're noticing accidents. What color is it? What's it weigh? What's it taste like? How long and wide and deep it is? And so forth. We come to knowledge of accidents through our senses. We have a direct knowledge of accidents. But we only know a substance through the accidents. We don't come to a direct knowledge of created substances, but we come to know a substance through its accidents. What are you talking about, Father? I'll just describe some accidents, and everybody here will know what the substance is right away. The substance is white, it's freezing cold, it's made up of little six-pointed white crystals, it melts into water, it falls from the sky in the winter. Those are all accidents. As soon as I say it, we know what the substance is. It's snow, right? We come to know a substance through its accidents. All this is just background. Why? So that we can have a clear understanding of the church's teaching about transubstantiation. Okay, Father, what's transubstantiation? This is a $4 theological word for what happens at the consecration to the bread and the wine. 
Here's the teaching of the Council of Trent. Now, with that background, it ought to be clear what they're saying. Okay, so listen carefully. This is the Council of Trent. Quote, By the consecration of the bread and wine, a conversion takes place of the whole substance of the bread and of the substance of the body of Christ our Lord and of the whole substance of the wine and of the substance of his blood. This conversion is appropriately and properly called transubstantiation by the Holy Catholic Church. Close quote. It's called transubstantiation because at the consecration there's a change in substances. At the consecration the whole substance of the bread is converted into the substance of the body of our Lord and the whole substance of the wine is converted into the substance of the precious blood. We all know that. And we also know that after the consecration, there's nothing left of the bread and wine except the accidents. All that's left are the appearances. Sometimes people call these species. Appearances, species, accidents, these are all the same, different words for the same thing. Things like the shape and the color, the taste, the quantity. How do the accidents of bread and wine remain without the substance? It's by the power of God Almighty. Frank Sheed has an interesting discussion of this. Quote, whatever the senses perceive, even with the aid of those instruments, men are forever inventing to increase the reach of the senses. Instruments like microscopes, for example, scales and whatnot. Whatever the senses perceive is always a quality, a property, an attribute. No sense perceives the something which has all those qualities. This something is what philosophers call substance. The rest, the things we perceive, are accidents which it possesses. Our senses perceive accidents. Only the mind knows the substance. This is true of bread. It is true of every created thing. Left to itself, the mind assumes after the consecration, the substance is that which in all its past experience has been found to have this particular group of accidents. But in these two instances, the bread and wine of the Eucharist, the mind is not left to itself. By the revelation of Christ, it knows that the substance has been changed, in the one case into the substance of his body, into the other into the substance of his blood. The senses can no more perceive the new substance resulting from the consecration than they could have perceived the substance there before. We cannot repeat too often that the senses can perceive only accidents and consecration changes only the substance. The accidents remain in their totality, but not, of course, as accidents of Christ's body. It is not his body which has the whiteness and the roundness and the softness. The accidents once held in existence by the substance of bread, and those others once held in existence by the substance of wine, are now held in existence solely by God's will to maintain them. Close quote. Now I want to make a parenthetical remark here that occurred to me as I was reading this to you. I have a friend who uh, went to college in the Northeast, and this is before he was a, a good Catholic. He's actually a priest now, but in the house he lived, there were a, a bunch of people that were into witchcraft. And the, one of the persons was telling him, I don't know what you'd call it, so I'll just call it the witch test. You know, I don't know what it's called. Like, you get your varsity letter in witchcraft, I don't know what. Anyway, the deal was for these people, is they had 200 hosts scattered on a table, and one of them was consecrated. They had a little mark on the bottom of it. And the people that knew what was going on would stand in there, and they'd open the door, and the person would have to walk in and pick up the consecrated host. 
That way they knew they passed. Well, if you pass something like that, let me just tell you, parents, that means they're possessed because we can't tell. With our senses, we can only perceive the accidents. But the angels can see the substance hidden behind the accidents. The fallen angels know that's Christ our Lord, not just the holy angels. So the devil knows. See, we have to believe on faith, a kind of faith, because our, we, 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 our faith comes from our hearing. God said so, so it has to be true. That's why we believe we can't see. But they can see in a different way than us. Read the book, that book on Jesus, our Eucharistic love. It'll increase your faith because you see a lot of great things from the saints and Eucharistic miracles. That was all parenthetical. Back to the sermon. When we think about consecration, we ought to stop and think about the incredible power that God has given to man, the power God has given to priests. When he says the words of consecration over the bread, this is my body, the substance of the bread is turned into the substance of our Lord's body. And when he says the words of consecration over the wine, this is my blood, the substance of the wine is turned into the substance of the precious blood. Now wait a minute, Father. When I learned my catechism, I learned that Jesus was really present, whole and entire, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in the host, and in the precious blood. But what you just said is when you say the words, this is my body, the substance of the bed is turned into the substance of the Lord's body. And when you say the words, this is my blood, the substance of the wine is turned into the substance of the precious blood. If you say that, then how can Christ our Lord be whole and entire, present under the appearances of bread and wine? It's a good question. We should all know the answer. It is true what I said. The words do have the power to cause what they signify. If I say this is my body, that's the only power I have. It's when I say that over the wheat bread, that that bread becomes, the substance changes from bread to his body. That's the only power I have. And when I say this is my blood over the wine, the wine changes from the substance of wine into the precious blood. But keep, keep, remind yourself, what's happened to our Lord since the resurrection? His body can no longer be separated from his precious blood. So wherever his body is, his blood has to be there. He's alive. And because he's alive and his body and blood are there, that means his soul has to be there. And because he's God, that means his divinity has to be there. So when I say this is my body, it's true that I only have the power. God's only given me the power to confect the sacrament so his body becomes present in the host. But as soon as his body becomes present, his blood has to be there, his soul has to be there, and his divinity has to be there. And it's likewise with the precious blood. When I say this is my blood over the wine, that means that his body has to be there, his soul has to be there, and his divinity. Whole and entire, both the host and the chalice. All right, Father, when the host is broken, is the body of Jesus Christ broken also? No, only the accidents are broken. The body, the substance remains whole complete in each of the parts. Does that mean that Jesus Christ is just as much in a particle of the host as in a whole host? Yes, it does. We can even see this expressed in the liturgy because the priest holds his thumb and index finger together after the consecration and how to carefully clean the patents after communion since even the tiniest part of the host is treated with just as much reverence as if it were a entire host since it contains Christ our Lord, whole and entire. Does this mean that our Lord has as many bodies as there are hosts? It doesn't mean that. Even though by the mighty power of God to whom nothing is impossible, our Lord's body is really present in many places at the same time, his body itself is not multiplied. 
He has only one body, which is present everywhere, whole and entire, in all the consecrated hosts in the world, just like God is everywhere present, while well, he is but one God. Okay, Father, how exactly does transubstantiation work? By the power of God. We have to believe it if we want to be saved. But God hasn't revealed how it works. And in fact, the Catechism of the Council of Trent warns us about this. According to the warnings so frequently repeated by the Holy Fathers, the faithful are being warned against curious searching into the manner in which this change is effected. It defies the power's conception. Nor can we find any example of it in natural transmutations or even the very work of creation. That such a change takes place must be recognized by faith. How it takes place, we must not curiously inquire. Close quote. Why not, Father? What's the problem with being curious about this? Some kinds of curiosity are dangerous. This is an example. We have to humbly recognize our limitations and not stray. Because of the fall of man, intellectual pride, which is refusing to recognize our limits, has always been one of the pathways to destruction. Sinful curiosity about how transubstantiation takes place can and has often led into things like alchemy and what we now call the New Age Movement. The Church has 2,000 years of experience with human weakness. Only a fool would ignore these warnings. We believe by faith. When we get to heaven, we get to see. God just says you got to wait and find out the details on this. So we know it by faith. The devils know. They tremble. The saints know. We know. The angels know. But some things we don't inquire into till we find out. Okay. Let's review. We've seen a substance and an accident are two different kinds of being. They have two different modes of existence. Basically, a substance is an independent being, and an accident is a dependent being. A substance like snow is a being whose nature is to exist in itself. An accident like the whiteness of snow, the temperature, the crystalline shape of the flakes, these are beings whose nature it is to exist in a substance. We've seen at the consecration, there's a change called transubstantiation. At the consecration, the whole substance of the bread is converted into the substance of the body of our Lord, and the whole substance of the wine is converted into the substance of his precious blood. We've seen that after the consecration, there's nothing left of the bread and wine except the accidents. All that's left are the appearances, sometimes known as species, things such as the shape, the color, the taste, the quantity, and all these accidents are held in existence only by the will of God. Let's close with three thoughts from the Council of Trent. First, if anyone says that in the Holy Sacrament of the Eucharist, the substance of the bread and wine remains together with the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and denies that wonderful and singular conversion of the whole substance of the bread into the body, and the whole substance of the wine into the blood, with only the accidents of the bread and wine remain, a conversion with the Catholic Church most fittingly calls transubstantiation. Let him be anathema. Second, if anyone says that faith alone is a sufficient preparation for receiving the sacrament of the Most Holy Eucharist, let him be anathema. And for fear, lest so great a sacrament may, re may be received unworthily, and so unto death and condemnation, this Holy Synod ordains and declares that sacramental confession must necessarily be made beforehand by those whose conscience is burdened with mortal sin. How contrite even they may, they may ever consider themselves. And if anyone should teach, preach, or obstinately assert, or even in public disputation presume to defend the contrary, by that very fact he is excommunicated. And finally, the Holy Synod declares, moreover, that this custom was piously and religiously introduced into the Church of God, that on a special feast day every year, Corpus Christi, 
This sublime and venerable sacrament be celebrated with extraordinary veneration and solemnity, and it be borne reverently and with honor in processions through the streets and public places. And so, indeed, victorious truth ought to celebrate a triumph over falsehood and heresy that her adversaries at the sight of so much splendor in the midst of so great joy of the universal church may either vanish weakened and broken or overcome and confounded by shame may someday repent. God bless you.